Oscar Poker. conference and uh i think that it looks like tom is i'm here oh hi tom hi okay. tom hey sasha how are you good how's it going but i was intrigued um tom by the one thing that you uh one thing that caught my eye in particular or caught my ear in particular when you and uh, scott were speaking which was the idea that as of right now obviously without the unseen major films that the prevailing sentiment is uh liked the descendants uh, loved the artists. Now, how how widespread or how frequently or how often have you heard that particular thought expressed? Uh, just from the festival goers, for example, around Toronto or just in our little community, I haven't heard it specifically from Oscar voters yet because they haven't seen these films. Mm -hmm. It's just a kind of pattern. Haven't you guys heard that? Uh, just even among the, not the critics so much because they don't only like that gritty stuff. Yeah. I also like what you said or, or, or responded. It, it caught my uh, ear what you said about the artist, which is that uh, the, it's, it's, it's not going to win any uh, critics' awards, and it, the plot is a little bonbon, as you call it. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I love that line. Video. We are referring, by the way, to uh, Tom O'Neill and Scott Feinberg did a... Um, um, Tom does these ongoing video series on his site, Gold Derby, and um, goldderby.com, newly launched. Very cool and revamped. <laughs> That's your Thank plug, you. Tom. <laughs> and their most recent thing was about, they were talking Best Picture, and um, Jeff and I both watched it, and so um, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, when you look at the predictions at Gold Derby for Best Picture, they are this way. Among just the experts, 35% of the 26 experts we have say The Descendants, 31% say Warhorse. 15% say the artist, 8% say extremely loud and incredibly close. Uh, Jeff, I know you're backing Moneyball. That's in this other secondary cluster that gets 4%. But it's, it just seems to be uh, only those movies out in front. And when you break it down by Pundit, who's saying what? The artist has Dave Carger, Scott Feinberg, and Guy Lodge. The Descendants has Ann Thompson, Steve Pond, Pete Hammond, and Thelma Adams. Warhorse, uh, Sasha and I are saying that. And um, Michael Mostow and Jeff, you're on the Moneyball thing, so it's pretty spread out. Yeah. Um, I haven't really updated mine. I have to do that. You asked me to do that, Tom, and I haven't done it. I, I don't know if I'm going to put Warhorse in the... You know, I do... I have to say, I do feel like there's no there there if we're predicting a movie like Warhorse to win, just because we don't know if it's going to be good or not, and we don't know if Extremely Loud is going to be good or not, or Dragon Tattoo or any of these movies, so... 
it is kind of a risk to say that we think we think we're betting on the likelihood that this director and this screenplay and this production company and these actors are going to pull off a winner. You know, let's let's talk about War Horses for a second. Now, I say this as someone who has only uh, spoken to people who have seen the Broadway play. Have you seen the Broadway play, Tom? Y- yes, I have. Mm-hmm. And Sasha, you no, seen- I wanted to see it. I didn't get to. Well, I mean, talk about bonbons. Am I? <laughs> a little bonbon. Am I not uh, wrong in saying, really, there isn't a huge amount of, of story and plot to War Horse? It's really the staging of it. It's, it's a beautiful job. Am I, am I not correct, Tom? It's really the yeah. staging of it, and it's a, it's a moving piece, obviously. Um, it's all about the puppets on Broadway. It was very telling at the Tony Awards that it received not a single nomination for acting. That with a large cast, that was very telling. Yeah. But it is the spectacle, the staging. And I, and I wonder if Spielberg can't do the equivalent on screen with uh, you know, visual drama. I just put it number one right now as a placeholder because while I'm intrigued with the artist theory, and if I had to put money right on down right now on something, I would save the artist. Right. But it's just like Sasha, I'm just putting it there. I, I think, Sasha, you're the same thing, right? It's just... We have to put something number one. That's got the pedigree, literally. Well, it, yeah, it feels like that. I don't think, I mean, I, I feel like I can only talk about movies I've seen right now. And of those, there, there are basically three movies I think can win that I've seen. And one is Moneyball, one is um, The Artist, and one is The Descendants. Those are the only three that I think can actually win Best Picture. Um, and so I run the risk of putting one of those in my first place. Well, the only risk that you run is that next year when people are looking back at the predictions and they say, oh, so-and-so had this movie, at War Horse, at number one, and War Horse ended up winning Best Picture. But it's not really um, based on, on what we know of what we've seen, you know, or what anybody has seen. So. You know what, I, I, there's, a, there's a quality that the, uh, the Academy critics, everybody appreciates and truly respects, which is the uh, ability of a, of, a, of a team of filmmakers, but primarily the director, to understand that they've got in their hands a very strong story, a very strong theme, something that resonates with viewers, and they deploy in the service of delivering this theme restraint. They hold back uh, knowing that they've got the goods and they don't have to layer it on too heavily. Now, you can't trust, of course, a trailer to convey whether this restraint that I'm speaking of uh, is in the film, Money Horse. But I, I, mean, excuse me. I just said Money Horse. I can't No, now that would be your, there's your best picture winner. I know, I like that. You just got onto something. You can't tell from the trailer. The trailer always layers on the big money shots. Uh, but, you know, what, is the, what tells you in the last few years of Steven Spielberg's output that he is inclined to use restraint? I'm just asking you. Uh, oh, yeah. There was no restraint last year with King's Speech. That was a weepy for the Hello. Victorian old ladies, and we all fell for it. So, no, they, there's no... Where do you get this restraint notion? I think that people respect when it, they, a movie that really works is when they... Slumdog Millionaire had no restraint. If a movie holds back until the very, very end, that always is a winning combination. You know, uh, even though people hate Titanic, it held everything back. Oh, and good it's, Lord, it certainly did not. What about the end, when he's dramatically dying? No, on... no, what I'm saying is the last 20 minutes is what made that film. Uh, prior to that, it was a well-produced, 
uh, exciting for what it was, uh, you know, sinking of a ship movie. The last 20 minutes were emotionally uh, devastating. Why it did so well? You can't say no. I agree with it that it did so well. For me personally, it didn't show enough restraint in that. But I don't care. I mean, it's you can't argue Titanic. You just can't. You can't say you can say it's a bad movie, but it's also a great movie. It's both. Hey, speaking of that, just to go off the track for a split second, did either of you get invited to see the 3D Titanic portions that were shown? I believe at the Paramount no. lot about a week, week and a half ago. I did not oh. know. I didn't get anything either, but they had a whole thing, and people were, they showed, I don't know, like six or seven scenes. I would have loved to have seen that just to see I know. It. I'm surprised they didn't invite you. It was probably just an oversight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I Yeah. But getting back to the whole Best Picture thing and Steven Spielberg, you know, I can't, I can't uh, diss the old Spielberg. He's one of my favorite directors. I've seen Jaws probably a hundred times. I just watched it again this morning. <laughs> <laughs> if it's on, I'll watch it. Morning, I could go to church or I could watch Jaws. I've watched Jaws. I know every line of that movie, every single shot. I know Spielberg's whole career. I'm not so much a later Spielberg as I am. A, I'm a pre-Schindler's List Spielberg more than I am a... I, you know, once he started believing his um, hype and publicity that he was this, you know, Peter Pan guy, that's when things started to go downhill for him. But... I look at War Horse, and I look at what it's about, and I look at the trailer, and I, I think to myself, that is going to be a great movie. I don't know if it's going to be a Best Picture winner. I don't know, but it's going to be, for me, a great movie. It's going to be a horrific movie if he doesn't hold back and show some discipline. That's all I'm saying. People respect an artist that knows how to divvy it out just so. That's all I'm saying. It's not I don't know, I don't know though. I haven't heard anybody say anything about War Horse being overly sentimental. People that I've heard say it's not overly sentimental and that it's a really good story. Hey Jeff, you saw the Broadway plays I did. The last 20 minutes, everything is there. You know, when the, when the plot turn, you know, when everything comes to a head there, it is the restraint you're talking about. They hold back throughout the whole story. No, I'm not. That's it's the, the play is what it is. I'm just saying I don't see anything in Spielberg's tendencies as a, as a filmmaker to hold back at all. Uh, right. so he's a well, very, very sentimental, shameless uh, director, and, 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 uh, and he's shown it time and again. He just doesn't have that muscle, that discipline, whatever. It, it's not in him. Oh, I think he's a great director. He's one of our best directors, period, in this country. He's a very good director in many respects. I'm saying specifically he does not have a disciplined uh, instinct to restrain himself. Well, from that's his, but, but that's like saying Frank Capra didn't have. Um, he didn't either. That's right. He yeah, didn't. and he happened to be one of the greatest filmmakers ever. And he his movies were wonderful. sappy and sentimental, but they were some. It's a Wonderful Life. Can you yeah. imagine if that movie showed restraint? Can you imagine if when <laughs> when Jimmy Stewart's running through the streets saying, you know, um, whatever he's what is he screaming at the end of the movie where he's you know he's he's happy because he just got he says life. hello pharmacy hello bank hello building <laughs> alone Mary all of that if the director had said hey you know Jimmy just can you just bring it down a notch? <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, that's no, like one of the no. most intense, and, and, and E.T. is one of the most, you know, emotionally satisfying films ever. And, and you're it's... aware, Sasha, that people loathe Frank Capra in, in, in great numbers out there. They think Who, the who, who Cap- loathes Frank Capra? Let me talk to them. Let me see them. Meet them down a dark alley. Okay? Let me slap them, right? He's, he's, he's synonymous with the term cornball, overdoing it. Who, not... who had have the nerve to dare to insult? Did you ever see the 1961 Pocketful of Miracles with Glenn Ford and uh, Betty Davis, by any chance? Is one of... I did, yeah, years ago. 
You know, I saw that recently. That's really cornball. That's that is that is not uh, you know that's that's that tries too hard. It I don't know. Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm just an apologist. But if a guy makes it's a wonderful life, if a guy makes Jaws, you know, if um, if a director made um, Taxi Driver, uh, if he made Unforgiven or Mystic River, you know, they get a pass from me because they made these these great movies. So to me, they're always going to be considered a great director. Maybe Hitchcock. Maybe their movies in the end you know, don't live up to the masterpieces in the beginning of their careers, but so what? There is no greater fan of Steven Spielberg than myself from the time of Duel and Sugarland Express up until, I guess, E.T. would be the, that was like the end of the great cycle. That man was, could not, it was, he did a wrong thing. He made 1941 and 1979. <laughs> but other than that, you know. <laughs> He was he was pretty much uh, unstoppable throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Now his, but you look at the uh, '80s and well, you know, it was also one of the greatest things he ever did was the third Indiana Jones film. That was one of the most perfectly rendered, delivered uh, kind of Saturday morning serial action adventure movies. I love yeah. that film. But starting with Always, I guess it was. Is that '89 or something? Always and is a terrible with, movie. Yeah. With the exception of you know Schindler's List, which I deeply respect and I will always respect. Uh, the man really just—I don't know what happened—but he's, you know, he doesn't have an aesthetic. He's not a—he—he he just seems to like to make money. He seems to like make movies just to make them. He likes to delight it, like people. He just has a kind of a cheap streak about him. He doesn't. I don't think he does. I think you get to a—I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing in Hollywood you get to a level where you're so big and you're so powerful. He's so powerful. He's like a god. You know, if anybody gets on the set, gets five minutes with Steven Spielberg, it's like their whole careers are turned around. Sure. So yeah. I would imagine that you're surrounded by a lot of yes men and you're not, you don't have anybody telling you not to do something. And one of the best things you can do for a director is give them a budget constraint and yeah. a time constraint and have somebody overseeing them and saying, you can't do this. Why can't I do it? And that kind of fighting usually results, though Jaws was fraught with, um, production woes and over budget, and everybody thought it was going to be a huge bomb. Um, even Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. The, more, the one of the best things that can happen to any film director is to be told no yeah. to do it with less, because less. it makes them depend upon their imagination yeah. and and use shortcuts that are absolutely. used. Absolutely. So when I heard that Dragon Tattoo, when they were going to, I heard just the rumor that they wanted him to cut it by 30 minutes and he was sticking to his guns. I was thinking, don't stick to your guns, David Fincher. Do what they ask you to do because you're going to have a better movie if you have to sit down and figure it out, you know. And I think that may be what happened with Spielberg. He's just too powerful. People believe in him too much. They let him do whatever the hell he wants. And you got to always have somebody there saying, you've got to have that one person saying, you know, this isn't going to work. You know what is almost as entertaining and engrossing as Jaws? The very uh, long version of the making of video that's on yeah. the DVD. I, the, I mean, the one that goes on for almost two hours, I mean. It's oh, just, I know. It's a fascinating... They, they had it on the original Laserdisc way back when. Then they took it out and truncated it. And now they've got the full thing. Yeah. And it's so great to listen to everybody talk about all the tragedy and all the 
anguish and yeah. the constant threat, I'm going to be fired, I'm going to be fired. I okay. know, I know, and Richard Dreyfuss saying in Time Magazine or something, like, this is going to be, this is going to ruin my career, this movie, <laughs> or something. <laughs> Little did he know what waited ahead. But, um, yeah, I saw Jaws as a teenager. My sister and I would wait, would, would do the thing where we were in the valley in the multiplex, and we'd wait in line for two hours to get in to see Jaws. And we watched it, we, we counted, we saw it 14 times when it played in the movies. When we were kids, and I've just watched it my whole life, and up to this day, I'm still not sick of it. I just think it's a perfect movie, you know. Uh, and he, he, I think one of the things that he said, uh, Spielberg, during was that he said if he kept shooting and stayed out of the water and didn't stop, that yeah. they would be less likely to fire him if they, yeah. if they came back. <laughs> yeah. I know, and they couldn't believe it when they first screened it. How successful! Like they, everybody thought it was just going to be an utter disaster. Somehow he pulled it in, and I do think it's it's when a, when a filmmaker stops having to struggle like that, that's when they run into problems. And so I hope that they all of them just keep aware of that. You know, you're never at a point where you're God. You're never ever there. Yeah. Anyway, well, sorry to get off last, track. His last Oscar nomination, of course, for directing was Munich, which got in for Best Picture in 2004. But he had a lot of misfires, like um, Catch Me If You Can didn't get in there, Amistad. So he's not really been. Uh, a golden boy recently with the academy as much as you might expect right 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 well in a way he's already collected you know he's like meryl streep it's like she's gonna have to top sophie's choice well he's gonna have to top schindler's list (laughs) how do you top schindler's list so people that are predicting him and you know tom and i are just sort of predicting him half-heartedly it's not like we're very confident it's just people put him there because he's the de facto front runner but Warhorse is going to have to be better than everything this year, and it's going to have to pretty much be better than Schindler's List to win. Now, wasn't it Rebecca Keegan um, who wrote the book about DreamWorks, the history of DreamWorks? You guys remember, you know Rebecca Keegan, formerly of Time. Mm-hmm. Right, well, Nicole Laporte recently wrote the... Uh... I'm sorry, Tom, you're correct. Nicole Laporte, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wrote that during the Amistad uh, period, talk about surrounded by Yes Men, uh, a lot of people at that company thought that they had, uh, uh, you know, a possible, you know, all-the-way winner in, in Amistad. Now, anybody yeah. would take a look at that film and say, well, this this has definitely got the chops, you know? we Oh, yeah. Up here. That's, that's like, you're on drugs if you're thinking that. <laughs> that's exactly why we all know that it's... Um... It's never happens. I was talking to Scott Feinberg about this. We were arguing about it on Twitter, direct messaging each other, and I was saying, when has it happened in all the years that I've been covering this that the front runner that nobody has seen has actually... We talked about this last time we were together, Tom, remember? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. never happened. The only movie I can think of that would hap- have happened that way was Schindler's List. It's the only movie you would have looked at it on paper and said, Holocaust, Nazis, Spielberg, three hours, black and white, it's going to win Best Picture. <laughs> but you can't do that with any other movie because the expectations become impossibly high and no movie can live up to it. And it just, on paper, is a whole different thing. Right. I can't tell you how many movies, Munich included, that people... Remember Munich? I remember oh, yeah. being interviewed by a reporter, what's going to win Best Picture? Munich. But it hasn't mm-hmm. come out and nobody's seen it. It doesn't matter. It's Spielberg. <laughs> it's about terrorism. He's going to win. It's going to win. It's going to win. <laughs> Spielberg might be the worst one who gets labeled with that. His movie's going to win Best Picture, you know. Well, that movie was uh, killed by a Time magazine cover, which it was proclaimed to be a work of genius, I believe was the word. Do you have any recollection of that? Uh, Only on Hollywood Elsewhere as it played out very dramatically. (laughs) 
Well, they what basically that was it's published by the uh, you know and the Time magazine guy I guess maybe having seen it I don't remember the particulars either they saw it or it's a copy editor time right they, you're right though it was too much moxie but it wasn't a good movie I mean it was mostly a good movie it was missing a, a third act it was missing a third part of the story two thirds yeah. of it was there and it was good but it didn't finish he rushed it you know there was too much expectations too many too much pressure on him for that it was impossible. Can we speak for a brief second, and we'll get back into the extremely important uh, business of predicting film, films to win everything, <laughs> just a second. <laughs> but I, I've got uh, these two gala tickets, uh, Tom, to the uh, to the uh, Hollywood Awards. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. At the, and it's like, you know, i got a table and everything. Nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, two, two, I don't have a date. You want to go, Sasha? I don't have a, I, I just have these two tickets. I'm thinking. I got invited too, bro. Oh, okay, you're but going. I'm, no, I'm not going. I'm sending my nephew because he really wants to go. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I've got one ticket. I'm going. I'll see you there, Jeff. I'll sit with you. Oh, you all guys right. are all going? Maybe I'll have to go then if you're all Sasha, going. Sasha, you have to come. Yes. Jeff's got an extra ticket. Be his date. I've got an extra ticket, yeah. What, you don't have a date? If you don't have a date by no, Monday. Forget it. I'm not going to take anybody. So if you want the ticket, it is yours. Forget I mean, it. You're not going to take anybody? I'll comments together. It'll be fun. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> However, in, in, order, in order to see this, I just want to say, I, I mean, I wanted to go, but I, I I don't know what I was thinking. I thought it was maybe Tuesday or something. But but I know. Tuesday. It's Monday. It's tomorrow. There are two competing things going on. One I really wanted to see. Not that I think it's going to be that great a film, but I want to see it for Eddie Murphy's sake. I want to oh, see, dear. Uh, you know, Tower Heights, which has its first screening tomorrow mm-hmm. at the ArcLight with a big crowd and everything. And that I think it has a follow-up screening sometime, maybe what November third or something. That's the next one I know about, anyway. Oh, I didn't get the Tower House Tower, Tower High screening for tomorrow. I got one for like November something. Yeah, that's what I have the November third also. But there is one tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And there's also I'm going to have to forego apparently, although I begged uh, on Friday the people from uh, Graham King's outfit and also from Film District. I want to see Johnny Depp's film because there's got to be a, a redeeming oh, dear. factor or two. What are you going to do? Your cynicism. <laughs> Why do you do that immediately? Do you, you just presume uh, because it's been on the shelf for so long? I've just heard it's terrible, horrible, like unwatchable. But we'll see. You know, I shouldn't say that. It's like. This is a horrible thing to say, and I should cut it out, but it's like Tower Heist, Rum Diaries, or the Hollywood Film Awards. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> which is the worst thing to have to go to? <laughs> you don't think that, tower, that Rum Diary might have, what I mean is, I thought it might have some redeeming characteristics, maybe some moments, maybe a, you know, maybe Johnny Depp's performance doing for the first time a non- Paradistic, uh, low-key performance. You know, maybe maybe it'll be kind of interesting. Maybe. Uh, aren't you sick of watching him with a mascara on his eyes? And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit much, yeah. Yeah. Acting just silly, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's the side issue that I was bringing up. Is there anything happening this week? Uh, oh yeah, uh, they're showing um, on. Uh, let me see. They're showing something else of of, of great interest. Uh, this coming week, what would that be? I just uh, blanked on it. Um, it was, uh, let's see, was it Jennifer Chamberlain? Um, I don't know what it is. Um, nobody's thinking, huh? <laughs> You're just sitting there listening to me stammer as I uh, <laughs> Isn't Jay Edgar the next one we're waiting to see? Yeah. But I am not aware of any screening of that. that well, well, that's at the, the Hollywood. AFI. Yeah, AFI Fest. Yeah, yeah. 
And and um, it feels like Extremely Loud is going to have to start screening pretty soon too, right? Because it's yeah. But you know what's interesting, Sasha? I won't say who. I'll say off off this broadcast too. But I won't say on this okay. broadcast. Okay. But you know, Scott Rudin has three movies in the mix. He's got Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. Extremely Loud. He's got Moneyball. And what I'm finding fascinating is what I'm hearing is that he thinks Moneyball is his Oscar contender. So what yeah, does that say you... about Extremely Loud? But yet, of course, there were also rumors that it hadn't quite finished yet. Of those three, which which ones do you guys think is, has the most charge? Moneyball, Dragon Tattoo, or Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close? Why would a, a film uh, that David Fincher made of a genre film, which is basically an airport page turner that a lot of women love because it's about an empowerment figure, why would that be assigned in people's heads the idea that it has best picture qualities it's just a it's, it's a rip roaring good thriller but it, when you look at the trailer of it honestly it looks so similar to the original the danish original set in sweden i just don't see the i don't feel the um the thematic echo i don't i don't see um anything about it that's going to talk to me about my life or about the general quality of life it just seems like a good you know ripping film you know that's going to be a lot of fun to watch and you know that's it. I don't see why it's the best picture thing necessarily, hmm. except except for craft, of course. Fincher is a master, so it's going to be wonderfully made. But still, it's a genre piece. But yeah, he's, he's, he does feel that way. And then Moneyball, uh, in its favor, has you know a score of eighty-seven at Metacritic. It's made sixty-three million at the box office. It's got Brad Pitt. It's based on a real-life story that has resonance today in many other areas. And it's got Scott Rudin behind it and Cynthia Swartz. And it. it it's got a head start already. It's passed all the early tests. Yeah. They could just keep the momentum going. Uh, it's it's certainly going to be nominated, and with the proper uh, good luck, it, it could win. Extremely loud, incredibly close. It, all we keep hearing is that nobody's seen it. It's still in production. It's still on the burner simmering. Right. right. And, and, of course, one way to give it momentum would be, say, for the now first out of the gate New York film critics to give it best picture let's say so I guess that that's a good segue into uh, the New York film critics changing their date and this was already covered by Chris Tapley and Ann Thompson and Guy Lodge on their podcast but we might as well put in our two cents the uh, New York film critics Chris Tapley stole my phrase cock blocked (laughs) 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 I was out front with cock blocking I might have um, he, uh, yeah, they, they moved their date to the end of November to put themselves in front of the National Board of Review and Ann Thompson saying that now the National Board of Review is probably going to vote to change their date and they'll probably put themselves before. Yeah, yeah, there's no stopping the National Board of Review. But what was interesting is that in the old days, remember I wrote a book called uh, Movie Awards and I chronicled all these dates uh, through the years and in Going back to 1935, and then in the uh, 70s is when you get the LA film critics coming in, the year of Rocky. And there was, um, the, the, the New Yorkers stayed out front for many years, and then the LA people were content to be number two. But in recent years, I was very surprised that the New Yorkers didn't change their date, that they were allowing LA to come on Sunday and then they would meet the day after. And part of the reason for that was because they all have nine to five jobs, uh, for the most part, the New York. New York film critics, it used to be that you had to have a staff position. You had to be on the Village Voice. You had to be employed by the Daily News, and they didn't let the freelancers or the online or the broadcast people come in. That's changed a lot now, but they had to do their powwow on a weekday while the L.A. people felt the luxury of doing it on a Sunday. And suddenly all that changed. It was fascinating. 
That's really true. It did. They, now they let in onliners. Funny thing is, is they. I just found out that they they haven't had the New York Times film critics on the New York film critics for since two thousand three. This is what A.O. Scott said, and it's because it's un. They think of it as unethical. Right. They have changed that policy back and forth through the years. By the way, the. Uh, Bosley Crother used to be the, <laughs> remember him? Yeah, <laughs> sure. He was actually president in the early days of the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, and then in, there was a time they, they got out for these ethical reasons and then got back. Their thinking is that they don't want um, uh, to influence, uh, it's, it's, it's a bunch of hooey, of course, because they have been in there for years. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, I think it's funny to have a New York film critics and not have the two most important film critics in New York on it, you know? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of great New York film critics, but I mean, the New York Times, come on, this is like, this is their New York film critics history, you know, going back all the way to the 30s, and they're the oldest film critics group. Uh, and the National right. Board of Review is pretty far back, too. I don't remember when they, I think they're in the 30s also. They started. So they started technically with a top ten list before the New York film critics had started in '35. Yeah. But you know, but back to this point of uh, this is how hypocritical the New York Times is. A.O. Scott, all of them, published their top ten list at the end of the year. You know, so they're picking a number one movie of the year right. ranked. Why won't they let that factor into the decision of the New York film critics? Well, they, and they also, um, which is so funny because I swear to God, last year I gave, I falsely gave A.O. Scott so much shit for influencing the New York film critics, like having had no idea that he didn't vote. So I'm so stupid, I didn't even check. But um, because I remember he didn't like the social network, he was one person who didn't. And I was thinking, well, his influence is going to make them not vote for that movie for Best Picture. Oh, I see. Right. And vote for the kids are all right instead. And while the kids are all right did very well, it actually beat Aaron Sorkin for best screenplay. Um, the uh, Social Network still managed to win best picture, but it was just funny. I had I didn't have the knowledge or the awareness that he didn't vote at all in those awards and had no influence at all on them. <laughs> all right, so. Right. Um, yeah, so they don't have influence, but they do do Oscar articles. They do do for your consideration. They do like if I. If I was voting for the Oscars, those kind of articles and stuff. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the New York film critics claim they don't care about influencing the Oscars, and that's a bunch of hooey. Look at their website. It says 40-some percent of the pictures that have won Best Picture at the Oscars have previously won. Yeah. The, uh, and, and also, they can take credit for putting contenders like um, Pollock, what was her name? from? Uh, Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden you know, won there at New York film critics and then went on to the Oscars. She never would have done that trajectory of course it hadn't been for the for the circle and there were years like when Gosford Park was out where everybody was saying Maggie Smith Maggie Smith for the supporting race and it was Thelma Adams actually at the voting conclave who said no 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 let's do something different let's say Helen Mirren and it took off <laughs> uh, no kidding that's so interesting oh I actually remember you writing about that <laughs> <laughs> they're also total hypocrites and they will deny this story ever but I have it from multiple sources this is how corrupt all of these organizations are. Oh, they dear. claim that they claim that oh, we're so above all of this, this um, you know, groveling after money and influencing the studios. That's nonsense. The year of Far From Heaven, when they gave it five awards, that with the most in the history of the New York Film Critics Circle, tied only by network Jesus. or broadcast broadcast news, the most they didn't give it to Julianne Moore because. 
By that point in the voting process of during the day, that vote came last. And somebody said, oh, my God, we've already given it five awards. We can't give it anymore because what studios will buy a table? <laughs> oh, dear. So the one thing that made Far From Heaven so divine was the one thing that didn't get an award when Far From Heaven won the most in the history. So that's how corrupt that group is. We have a similar story with Sideways at the L.A. Film Critics. So all of them are selling tables or ads. In the, or actually, in the case of the New York Film Critics, I think they sell ads in their program instead of tables where L.A. sell tables. But they're all corrupt that way. And don't fall for this purest. So basically, the only people who can really criticize the Oscars and the voting are, are Manola Dargis and A.O. Scott because they're the only ones who exactly. don't vote. <laughs> Everybody else votes, whether it's in the National Society of Film Critics, the Southeastern Film Critics, the broadcast. Jeff is a member of the Critics' Choice. You are too, right, Tom? Oh. No? Okay. No, I, I refuse to join all of those organizations. Oh, yeah, me I, too, I, Tom. So we're the only two that don't. Yes, see, we have integrity, Sasha. That Jeff Wells has no integrity. <laughs> no, Jeff does so, review no, movies. I, I, well, I really like being a part of them because I love, oh, I love the insurance of, uh, or the assurance, I should say, of getting the screeners. I really, really like that part of it. And, uh, and you review movies, Jeff. It's privileged yet. I don't review movies, and I shouldn't because I have very peculiar taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Everybody's I know, but I just, what I mean is that it's all... Boundaries issues with these awarding awards. I mean, you know, like uh, Jeff accepts Oscar ads, and you know, Thelma Adams is trying to do Oscar ads, and she votes in the New York Film Critics. I mean, it's you know, it's all blurry around the edges. So, for one, for groups to to, to really start criticizing Oscar bloggers or any other critics group, you know, when they when they sort of stand above the National Board of Review so snottily, you know, it's like, well, I don't really see a lot of difference there, you know. Thank you. That that needs. To to be said because everyone beats up on the National Board of Review for these for the same things that they're guilty of themselves. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yes, it's true. Nobody knows who they are, really. But, um, I mean... We have blurry lines here. <clears throat> I have a question for you. I just have a... Uh, <clears throat> as you know, I, I raised some money uh, from some uh, uh, people who read the site, plus a, uh, a guy who came in with a lot of money and uh, gave me over 2000 so I could pay for three screenings of Tyrannosaur, and that was something I was very proud to have done. Uh, there's a phase two now being contemplated with uh, uh, Olivia Coleman uh, and Patty Considine coming to Los Angeles, and I would, I would like to see that happen also, just mm -hmm. for the sake of the movie getting at least a little play in the, uh, with interviews and whatnot. And, you know, I don't think it's the movie's uh, not going to happen, and I don't think Olivia's really going to happen because it's too glum, but she's a She's magnificent, and the, the performance is magnificent. But people are going to, um, I think, withdraw a little bit because the yeah, British, yeah. the British miserableism that you you know. I don't think it's the British miserableism. I think it's the physical and. Um, don't an, mention that thing. Don't mention that thing. I, I'm not going to mention it. I'm just <laughs> saying that a friend of mine saw it, and she's a critic, and she said she almost walked out after the first five minutes. She could well, not take. Wait a minute. Hold on. She said that. That's really shallow. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take her word. I'm not taking her word. I'm saying I. I particularly myself. Um, I will confess to you that I never actually saw the movie Precious. I think I told you that. And abuse is really hard for me to watch because of my own background, and um, not to give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> or say too much, but it, it bothers me in a way it probably doesn't bother a lot of other people. Well, actually, I don't mind talking about what you're talking about. I, I, I'm talking I, about I, the physical abuse, but I'm also talking about the abuse to animals, and, and that's the thing, is that 
Um, that's one thing I can't take. It's like I can't take it. I will have to turn away, and I will have to cover my eyes. I can't. I, you don't see it, for number one. You hear it, and oh. there is remorse immediately. He's just a man who can't control his anger. It's not like, uh, oh, that felt good. I'll, I'll kill another dog. You know, <laughs> it's, it, and it's like there's obviously, you know, if he's the only friend, he's killed his only friend. It's so, you know, you can't be that um, um, simplistic and just saying, I'm going to see it for your sake. I'm just telling you, if it weren't for you, Jeff, and I heard about that, I wouldn't want to see it. And I think that it's important for you to acknowledge that when it comes to Academy members. They're weird about stuff like that. I mean, they liked, uh, they watched Precious. They voted for it. They gave it, they loved it so much. They gave it screenplay. Um, so, and a supporting actress. But, and I don't know how Precious stands up with this one because I never saw it, I have to say. But um, I can tell you, Precious doesn't even begin to be in the realm of, um, of uh, not just the you know, emotional impact of the last third of this film, but also uh, just the chops that uh, Patty Considine displays way above the level of Precious. Precious was fine. I mean, it's, it's no, I'm, I'm, But I'm talking about in terms of being able to withstand what you're watching on screen, not... If it was a good well, movie or this not. Then, all right. There is a difficult moment in Tyrannosaur. We, we acknowledge that. I acknowledge it. But it's over in a matter of seconds. Whereas in Precious, you had to watch Monique do her torture thing with, with, with poor Gabby for a long time. It was right. very long. And, you know, with the cigarettes and, you know. Yeah, the, see, no way would I ever watch that. Macaroni and cheese and everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, you know, that, that, that went on and on and on and on. And then she finally had her big moment. She says, what about me? I want my boyfriend to like, you know, and all that stuff. Oh, Jesus. A big, that was a long <laughs> set. <laughs> Tom agrees with me. See, Tom and I are bonded at the hip about Precious. For the rest. I know. We were, we, we were, we were this two soldiers who stood on the field fighting against Monique's um, arrogance during the Oscar campaign, but she won anyway. She won anyway. Yeah, she won. And she wasn't going to lose. Yeah. Um, so, well, anyway, I, I want to see it because it sounds Wait, great. But to my ethical, I don't think I should. What I'm saying to myself is, okay. they don't have any PR people out here. They have Steve Beeman in New York. I'm just talking out loud here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They don't know that. I don't believe. I don't think that the person representing Strand, the in-house person, may not have the. I want to put this correctly. I I, I don't know that that they're going to, um, you know, get as much uh, attention. For her as as could be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I shouldn't say anything too uh, uh, precisely, but I'm. But I, I don't think I should do any more than just kind of like attend the party or whatever. I don't think I should be involved for the. I, I don't want to be seen as too much in the. I know that I'm seeing. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go any further than what you've done, which is more than anybody has ever done. Yeah, I think I should let it go. Yeah, and it's and it's great that you're doing it because it's what you're promoting, Jeff, is the people seeing the movie, appreciating it. And I think everyone is extremely impressed by your campaign. It's really Absolutely. It's all from the heart, and it's just really noble. I think everybody I've heard talking about it has enormous admiration for you for doing such a thing. Same here. And then, what you're saying is you're saying I, we just want people to see the movie. If you go a step further, you're going to start saying you're advocating for yeah, the yeah, Oscar. Yeah. And that will turn people off. Yeah. I think I just leave it alone and uh, leave well enough alone. Right, because the next step they need to do is to take... Uh, screeners ship them to those 1300 members of the actors branch which costs you know about depending on how you do it anywhere from five to fifteen dollars per dvd that's you got, somebody, has to ra- somebody has to raise that capital and do all that 
You're saying to produce and to mail the cost per screener for the person sending them out is between five and thirteen. Did you, did you Correct. You can get it done as cheap as five to six dollars if you ship it. If you do, you do not do the watermarking and you just ship regular uh, mail. Right. But if you do the watermarking and you do it Federal Express, it gets up to fifteen to twenty dollars per cabinet. Well, that's not going to happen then. Right. I mean, no. they, they just don't have the money. That's all there is to it. But Jeff, I tell you what, if it is if it is that kind of performance, if it's really that good, then the buzz will carry it through. The buzz will carry it through, and she does have a really good chance of, at a nomination. You know, if it is that good, I mean, I'm I'm only saying that because I've heard people say it's it's like the best thing they've ever seen all year. Guy Lodge said it was the best performance, male or female, that he's seen all year. And uh, and I'm saying I don't always agree with Guy Lodge. In fact, most of the time I don't. Um, like he would have said Juliet Binoche's performance in um, that. Oh, other. you're kidding! Not not that kind of the, the, I'm just saying the, that's sort of his. He's he's got very esoteric taste, and um, so I have to see for myself. But I'm I'm just saying that if it is on that level, then there's nothing stopping her. She will get nominated. They will make an effort to see it if it's that good of a performance. Yeah, I think. Okay. All right, so what else do we have to get into, or should we... Well, the last thing, let's talk about the, the event of the weekend, okay, which is Martha Macy, what's the blah, 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 which is... Um, Martha Macy, May Marlene. Martha. Thank you. Okay. 75 on Metacritic, yep. 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. It did very well at the box office this weekend, and we know that there is that... Um, what's Gabby City Bay is a good example, or Carrie Mulligan, Jennifer Lawrence. There's that unknown slot among the five, Sometimes two get it in one year mm -hmm. that can go to the newcomer. You know, last year, I think, yeah, last year it was Jennifer Lawrence. This year we have a few of them, like Felicity from Like Crazy. I guess right. the question to discuss is based on the, the early fifth success, slot. Yeah. yeah, is Elizabeth Olsen a real contender? Absolutely. And the reason is to me is that she's got Fox Searchlight behind her. She's an mm -hmm. Olsen and she's naked and she's beautiful. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, yes. So, they're like they're like the box office for Martha Macy. Whatever is so good. I'm like, uh huh. Of course it is. Everybody yeah. wants to go see the naked girl. You know. <laughs> but it is a little bit like it's a thriller. It is a little bit. Uh, Can I uh, ask a horror movie kind of thing? A stupid question. I'll, I'll, I have a view also, but may I ask a stupid question? Yeah. I remember a skinny dipping scene at a water hole that she and the uh, other cult members do. Is that what you're referring to, Sasha? Um, yeah. Doesn't she show? She shows it all, doesn't she? She she at least goes topless. I know that for several scenes, doesn't she? As I recall, she goes skinny dipping at her sister's place up in the Catskills too, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, is so we're, what we're saying is that best actress right now seems like it's locked for four positions. It seems like it. We don't know for sure, but we're um, assuming it's Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Viola Davis, and Michelle Williams, and that there's a fifth spot, which I was thinking is going to go to Tilda Swinton, but it's starting to look less and less likely to me. There's a fading of that movie, and so if that fifth slot is open, if it's not Tilda, who's it going to be? Is it going to be um, Olivia Colman? Is it going to be... Uh, Charlize Theron, they love Charlize. She glams up the red carpet like nobody else. Yeah, right. Um, sure. She's gorgeous. She's supposed to be great in the movie. Uh, is it going to be Felicity Huffman? Is it? I mean, Felicity Huffman, Felicity Jones. Is it going to be um, Elizabeth that's, that's Olsen, Kira Knightley, uh, Rooney Mara for Dragon Tattoo? You know, Kira mm -hmm. Knightley would be a supporting, would you not? Well, they haven't decided yet specifically. They they are considering dropping her to supporting. I, oh. I talked to. Uh, 
That would be a perfectly sensible thing to do. Oh, yeah. She, and she'd probably get nominated in supporting, for sure. I agree. Yeah. yeah. She's the, she is the life of that film. We're talking, for those who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about A Dangerous Method, the Davis David Cronenberg film. And she really has the most um, gusto and the most... Uh, she's what you would come out remembering more than the other two guys, frankly. Although they're quite good um, in their performances. I just think she has the... Uh, she has the, the spirit and the, and the... And yeah, she plays crazy, too. It's yeah. big, big acting. She really is the lead performance. There is no female lead above her. Right. But in terms of strategy, like Sasha's saying, yeah, she has a better chance to be nominated. Right. Yeah. Hey, by the way, did anybody happen to see the uh, runaway big hit of the weekend? I haven't gotten to see it. Uh, I was wondering if either of you two... Sasha, did your daughter want to go see it, or did you talk about it? I'm talking about... No, I, I don't want to see it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For two reasons. Yes. You saw it, Tom? No. No. I don't want to see it because it's going to be too scary. Did you see one or two, Sasha? No. I didn't see either of them. Okay. I saw them both. Yeah. Uh, It is scary. But Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, uh, I'm just, I openly uh, asked uh, people uh, why this one, why did this become the biggest of the three? What's the big deal? It's Halloween and there's nothing else up. There's nothing else for any normal person to see. It's like everything that's in the theater. is just too, um, you know, too, it makes them think they don't want to think they don't want to have to to work so hard and they don't want an unsatisfying film. They want to go in and relax. That's one of the things that's probably most problematic about the Oscar race in the last few years is that the movies are just a bummer. You know, it's like, People want good movies. They want to, when they spend their money, they're going to get entertained. They're not necessarily going to sit there and have their whole psyches turned upside down and to leave frustrated because something doesn't happen in the end, you know? How did that movie end? Oh, my God. If something doesn't happen in the end, a film deserves not to win. And that's a very prescient point because, really, there are certain things that you want to see happen when a a film starts gaining steam and you like it and it has a good second act, but you want certain things to happen in the third act. That's what the essence of satisfying drama is. If it doesn't do the thing, whatever that is, then, yeah, you're going to lose. And people are not going to... Yeah, I just watched um, Take Shelter the other night, and and that was one of the things that occurred to me was how many movies I've seen this year where there isn't an ending. Like, there's an ending, but it's ambiguous. It could go either way. It's up to you to decide. That makes, you know, a great film to write reviews about, a great film to study, a great film, but it's not a satisfying film for an audience. And the movies that are doing well in the Oscar race, the artist, I mean, not... Well, but by our standards, what we think of as successful movies are Midnight in Paris, The Artist, The Descendants, Moneyball. They all have very clear-cut endings. You know, they, they end. You know how they end. And then you know how these people end up, you know. Right. Um, Unlike Ides of March, you have no idea what's going on. Right. Ides of March, uh, Take Shelter, Drive, Rampart. These are all movies that are brilliant character studies, but they end in such a strange way. They leave you in free fall. You know. The ending of Take Shelter, which is, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's about a guy who is becoming increasingly unhinged, uh, played by uh, Michael Shannon. He believes that there is a, some sort of uh, uh, apocalypse uh, coming to There's destroy. a storm coming! That's such a great scene. <laughs> and he is uh, pretty convinced that this is he's really seeing something that others aren't, including his wife and his kid, and he's really... Uh, really and he's got a history of, uh, or at least it's in his blood, that there's uh, mental uh, instability from his mother's side. So what happens at the end is what happens at the... I won't say what happens at the end of Take Shelter, but if you ever seen Nightmare at 20,000 Feet 
uh, with William Shatner. Right. A little creature outside. Right, right. Yeah. On the wing, and it's like, oh, he's he's obviously a nutter. We've got to subdue him. And then they take him out at the end, and it's all over, and the wing is literally torn up. So there really mm -hmm. is something maybe to what he saw. That's what right. Take Shelter basically does, right? It, it, well, maybe. Maybe not. Oh. It doesn't say for sure. It's it's up to you to decide, I think. Yeah. Well, it's just an old Twilight Zone ruse. Is what it, Twilight Zone ruse is what I'm saying. Yeah, if it is that, then I... You know, I don't know, I th but the, I, th I do think that it's open to an, an, an interpretation. You know, I think they all are. They sort of say something about you, how you choose these movies, and I think it makes them great, better movies. It's just that in the Oscar race, and I think with Paranormal 3, I think it's people want to see something that they're going to be paying money and they're going to get their money's worth, you know, and they're going to have an experience that feels satisfying and whole. You know, they're going to go down to the Vietnamese massage bar. <laughs> they're going to get a hand job, you know? It's like... <laughs> They don't want to pussyfoot around. <laughs> they want release. Yeah. So I, but I, even I am stunned that paranormal. I, I knew it would make a lot of money because there's nothing else playing and it's Halloween and everything. But I didn't think it would be the the highest grossing horror film opener of all time. You know, which is it is. It's just I, I'm sure those, those guys that did uh, Catfish, they're pretty good. I, I'm sure it's a pretty good one. But I've seen the first two. I can't imagine it being that much different. It's a it's a formula movie. It's about found footage, and it's about stuff happening suddenly that makes gives you makes you jump in your seat. So yeah. why I just don't get why. Oh, this I know so many people like my nephew who's 21 and all of his friends. I could just hear him saying, "Oh, I want to go see Paranormal 3." You know, yeah. they've mm -hmm. proven that sequels work. It's like sequels. If you look at the top five grocers of the year, they're all sequels. And so you know, it's like McDonald's and Starbucks. You know exactly what you're getting when you go in there. So they're all excited about it because they don't have to wonder. Right. Yeah. So Tom, do you get offered uh, these uh, gratis things like Sasha and I occasionally get? We're both going to the Savannah Film Festival next weekend. How come you don't ever do these, uh, uh, you know, little sojourns? I never get invited because when I was with the LA Times for six years, you couldn't accept Santa Barbara Film Festival or the others, uh -huh. and uh, so I was never on those lists. Okay. So uh, I always had to pay my own way for whatever I did. Because the LA Times wouldn't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've mostly I paid. Like, I have Toronto. to pay to can, but sorry, go ahead. So I, so I paid my own way to the Toronto Film Festival. So, I, so I, I need, do I need to get on those lists, it sounds like, right? Well, it's, uh, I'm, I can only say that uh, I'm going primarily to because I want to meet Ellen Barkin because she has become the queen of, of Twitter in the last two weeks. She's like between uh, infamous and famous. I think she's blazing on Twitter now. I mean, uh, maybe she's become repetitive. I don't know. I had but to I, unfollow I, I her. She was, too, she was too much noise on my Twitter. I had to unfollow her because I'm not like, to, I don't like to <laughs> I don't like to follow celebrities that tweet too much, you know, and I think she's funny and everything and I'm more power to her, you know. I don't have any judgment against her. I'm just saying that right. I, it was too much noise on my Twitter. <laughs> Half the time, it's just a staffer tweeting for them anyway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some of them are so bad that I would fire the staffer if they're the one. But you know it's Ellen Barkin doing it. You just know she's into it. She loves it, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and I want to see her movie anyway, and I, I, uh, it, sounds, it seems like a nice thing to do. But Yeah. Uh, I know. Same here. It's like I've only only had two, the Santa Barbara Film Festival so far and the um, this one are the only ones that have like paid for lodging for, for us to come and cover it because they really want the yeah. the publicity. They don't get a lot of people coming to their festivals. But and, and you know, 
you start Jeff starts going to the Savannah Film Festival, pretty soon everybody's going to want to go, and they're not going to pay for people to go. People are just going to like Telluride. You pay your way to Telluride. I had to pay seven hundred dollars to attend Telluride and pay for lodging and and car. You know, Jeff wow. and I had to pay that totally out of pocket. Yeah. So um, that's probably what Savannah's going to be like eventually. But right now, they pretty much have to do that to get their publicity. You know. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, I'm looking very much forward to that. And in fact, we could even do something if you want. That's next weekend, isn't it? Oh my god, <laughs> so scary. Yeah, we could try to do a podcast from there. I suppose we could try. So, Tom, what are you looking forward to, particularly in your life, either socially or screening wise? What's What's happening over the next two weeks that has your pulse racing? Anything? Well, I'm just I'm looking forward just to see more of these movies. Um, and you know, I just spend my time night and day dealing with. Uh, my, I now have 14 people on staff at Gold Derby, oh 10 on the tech side, and it's we're building the site behind the scenes. So it's all, wow. the, all the functionality you see, all the the drag and drop menus, and all of that is uh, a very labor intensive and management intensive task. And it's so much fun though because you get your own baby and you're doing it and building it with other people. Oh, yeah. so that's pretty much what I do night and day. Man, that's, um, a, that's a lot of salaries, Tom. You know, I was just thinking. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, I admire geez. your ambition. I admire your boxy. We're doing and investing in this magnificent uh, analytical software that you're deploying on on Oscar Derby, which I've called Oscar Bowl. But I know, <laughs> but 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 I have depleted everything from my life savings to my uh, IRA accounts to the rest of it, and it's uh, I'm I, hanging. It's going to be quite a drama getting through this Oscar season, but you know, we'll, I'll, I'll get through it. I'm just sorry mm-hmm. that Mark Gaddafi is dead because he had 200 billion <laughs> that he could give to all of us somehow. to fix our site. <laughs> <laughs> we have a way to kind of like uh, polish your rep a little bit. You could help out some really good people. You know, a drop in the bucket for you. Gee, the guy was worth two hundred billion. That's insane. He was by far the richest man in the world. It was according to the L.A. Times. They did an analysis of his holdings, and it really is actually in excess of two hundred billion dollars. So, and it couldn't buy him a minute more of life. Yeah. Yep. So, who gets the money now? <laughs> well, if the country has, you know, the, I would think the country would be able to seize assets, uh, wouldn't you think? At least, yeah. yeah. But the UN, that same article said the UN has only released 1.5 billion to this new government because everyone's a little skeptical. Yeah, they're waiting. You know. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. It's exciting, though. So, does Obama get the credit, or does uh, France get the credit? Who gets the credit for killing Gaddafi? Well, we didn't really do anything in a dramatic uh, taking the, you know, leading the show away. We were uh, the phrase. Yeah, we did. We were the lead horse, and then we backed off, let NATO take charge. And then it was one of our drones that zapped his car, his thing that, that made him jump out and then flee into those train uh, tunnels. <laughs> it's take Namidia's end. Yeah. <laughs> to go live under the sewer like a dog. No, he, he was hiding at a pipe. He was hiding at a pipe. They, they had yeah. lost their, you know. But just imagine, it's so funny how liberals and Republicans are about Obama. They're so mad at him. It's like, can you imagine if all of this happened, like Osama bin Laden dies, uh, Qaddafi dies, under, say, George Bush or any other, you know, they would make such a big deal about what a badass he was and how successful we are, and you know. Obama got credit for Osama bin Laden, I think. And I I think that people understand that he did a— he didn't get uh, the United States in trouble or, or invest too many, too much money or put any uh, uh, soldiers in harm's way. And what happened? 
uh, eventually happened. And, uh, you know, some all the Republicans can say about him is that he wasn't aggressive enough, I guess. They said they, he could have maybe ended it sooner somehow. But they yeah. don't get him any way they can. That's the they idea. They do. And they don't give him any credit at all for this, you know. So, oh, well. All right, so we're, All right, we're guys. run out of string. So, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I do look forward very much to seeing uh, the two of you tomorrow night. If you're both going to go, I presume yes, you are. I'll be there. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, see each other in uh, Georgia next weekend. Yes, Sasha. we sure will. Oh my God! And good luck with Gold Derby, Tom. I'll keep Thanks, watching. <laughs> keep your predictions up to date, both of you. You know how to get into your account. I will. It. I'll do that and right I, now. And, yeah. and if you don't do it, I have your passwords. I'll go in and change your predictions for you. <laughs> I think I'm gonna three. I'm gonna do yeah. <laughs> Don't you dare! I'm gonna do something really brazen. I think I'm gonna put Moneyball in number one. <laughs> Why not? Jeff may be onto something. Here. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Be well. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, and today. Tom O'Neill from GoldDerby.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. The bumper music was Closer, Nine Inch Nails, and Save It for Later by The English Beat. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.